alcohol and uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Paul and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 20th episode of Polcast. In this episode, we will tell you how a young Canadian musician, a Juno Award winner, sees Poland after living and working there. How the inhabitants of Krakow deal with dragons. How a Canadian writer wrote a play about his Jewish roots after making a visit to Poland which changed his way of thinking about his identity and all he had ever learned about Poland. Remember Ivona Malinowski's School of Polish for Adults in the area of Toronto? Here is another story I heard from her students. Uh, I'm Ronza. I uh, met my husband Alex at work and he's the Polish person and that's why I'm here. I, I, my goal is to learn enough to be able to pick up on what's going on when we have family get-togethers and things like that. But at this point I think I know a lot more than that. So it's wow. been really great. And what, what is your origin? I'm like? from Israel okay. and um, I speak both Arabic and Hebrew and um, now Polish <laughs> and English, I guess. Mm -hmm. So our kids are going to have, we're going to have to decide which way they're going to... Do you have kids? Um, one day, sorry. Our hypothetical Oh, kids. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to decide. You can use all the languages, you know. I might be a bit too much, four of them, four, and French, five languages. <laughs> Ariel Heitz-Bialski is a 31-year-old Toronto DJ, drummer, piano player, composer, music producer, actor, comedian, who has released three albums. His beats made it to a Juno Award-winning hip-hop album in Canada. He's currently living and working in Poland, where he is a highly successful and popular DJ and musician. We reach him in Warsaw to talk to him about his artistic career in Poland, the music scene there, and much more. Oh, and he lived in Poland for five years as a kid. He left when you were seven, and uh, being an adult now, you what returned to Poland, or is it just like a, for a short time? I'm not gonna. I don't think I'm gonna live here forever, but I definitely am staying here for at least another year. I've already been here ten months, or so. I'll probably be here two years, three years. Like I came to visit a few times, and I came. Three years ago and then two years ago, both times I was playing piano for my sister's band. So she invited me out, come play piano, uh, it'll pay for your plane ticket, and then you can just have a good time. I went for a month, played, it was lots of fun at their concerts, and then it was lots of fun. And then last year I came, I DJed as well as played piano for their, their band and just had lots of fun. And when I moved back to Toronto, uh, the, the music scene and the nightlife and the DJ 
culture just wasn't the same as in Warsaw. What's different? First of all, in Toronto, in clubs, parties go on till two o'clock. You can't serve liquor after two unless it's some sort of festival. Then I'm able to play until four. But otherwise, for a normal weekend, two o'clock, you're done serving alcohol, then the DJ's done at like three max. Whereas in Poland, the latest I've DJed is 7.30 in the morning. With that comes like this culture of people going out, uh, people having a good time, lots of dancing, like people actually loving going out to concerts and loving dancing and just, it just creates this vibrant nightlife. This is what a lot of people say indeed, right? That Poles know how to party, is that right? Yeah, I guess so. It allows people to party. Showing up at three o'clock in the morning as opposed to showing up at 10. Waves of people, you know? So... Maybe people do leave at two or what, one or something, but then new people come in. And this is weekends? For instance, like I'll be DJing up north in Poland, and that's on a Thursday. So th starting from Thursday, I DJ on the river every Wednesday night. It's not usually like a mega party. It's more atmospheric, cool music for, for sitting and relaxing. Well, let's talk about the music scene. If you were to compare um, the music scene for people at your age, you know, the kind of music you guys like here and mm -hmm. there. What is, what's the difference? People like dance music more here, but I play a lot of hip-hop. Like, I'm a big fan of hip-hop. I would play lots of hip-hop parties in Toronto, and here I also play lots of hip-hop parties. So in that sense, it's very similar, but you will find people being up for more dance music here. Um, but I've played, I've definitely had nights where it's a packed show lots of people dancing and all i'm doing is playing hip-hop so similar to what i would do in toronto except in toronto when i would play something like that it would be like a third of the amount of people i listen to your heights beats yeah the the podcast i actually stopped doing it i did it like uh 2011 maybe and then i was doing a couple albums so i just like used all the music that i was gonna I would show, just I, uh, I stopped. And then when I moved back here, some friends were asking for me to do it. So I was like, ah, okay, sure. So now it's, it's something that I like doing every, every week, a podcast and play a song um, that I do, which is, which is fun. Like I, I'll make a beat and then show it on the podcast and show how I made it and stuff. So, but yeah, so if anyone's listening and wants to hear Heights Beats, the podcast. So were you a, a stand-up comedian? Um, I did some stand-up. I mostly did improv and sketch comedy. So I did Second City for a while wow. in Toronto. And so I, I do that. I do a little bit of, there's a comedy club here, Club Comedy of it, in Warsaw, which is cool. And they have an English night once a month. But I do find it's not enough for me. And especially if I'm going to do more stand-up, you got to do that like four to five times a week. I love, I love the Toronto comedy community. Uh, I find the comedy community in Toronto is like the music community here in Warsaw, where everyone talks to each other, they help each other out, they give each other tips. In Toronto, the comedy community is like that. I can go to the comedy bar and see some friends and chat with them, and one is doing a show here, one's working for Second City, and like it's not as much competition as it is for the music scene in Toronto. As a producer, I, like me, like I don't have to have a rivalry with anyone, and I it's... Meeting an artist means that it's great contact and whatever. But for the most part, artist to artist, I don't know. I, I've seen some competition where people don't get along as, which is, yeah, it's different, different completely in Warsaw. People, like artists seem to talk to each other and give each other tips on gigs. And I've been helped by DJs. They gave me gigs like they would call me up and say, hey, do you want to play uh, next week on Friday? I'm like, yeah, sure. And it's just another DJ who would want me to play because they heard I can play well or I met them. And it's very friendly like that. And congratulations yeah, on your Juno 
best hip hop album. <laughs> I produced on on uh, on someone else's album. That so yes, yeah, so I was part of a Juno winning album. Was that uh, a big thing for you? I'm sure it was. Yeah, and at the time I was working at a restaurant, and so it was it was great. It's great to have that. So like yeah, from that kind of to a certain extent, not directly, but kind of took me out of bartending and serving. Are you planning to go back again to Poland after you return, or is that it? Uh, well, I mean, I'd definitely come back to visit. I I don't know. I I have no plans yet. Like everything's going very well here. I uh, do a lot of DJing work um, and production and stuff, um, and that and I can also do all production online for because I I work with artists in Toronto and in actually other spots in uh, in Canada as well, but I can send beats to them directly like through the internet. So my cost of living is low. There's amazing food and great nightlife where I can DJ and make money like that as well, and then at the same time produce for artists in different parts of the world because of the internet. The only downfall of that is that I can't be in the studio with them creating the song, but but still I can send them at least music that I've composed. You're not staying there. Yeah, yeah, I'd come I'd come back just for being back in Canada. Just because that is I do find it is my home and speaking English like uh, speaking English for me is like um I'm just used to it. I did a lot of you know theater and stuff and like right. comedy yeah. and so So just being able to speak English and live speaking English, I don't know, I just find I'm much smoother than I am in Polish. I know Polish people who want to move to Canada, and it is a wonderful country in that way. You do also have, <clears throat> because of that, boredom of of like things that people want to be act like. I don't know, I find young people always want to be like activists and like fight back against things. And so there's nothing to fight back against. They seem to make stuff up. When I'm back in Canada, it's like there is complaining about small things um, that really, when it comes down to it, don't really affect Canadians all that much. It's just really, really just like fighting against, for the, fighting for the sake of fighting almost. Because I also know lots of Canadians who are, who are just are like, ah, nothing, everything's going fine. And there is that joke of like, meanwhile, in Canada, like a moose crossed the road yeah. or something. Nothing's going on in Canada, which is Canadians love making fun of themselves. So that's awesome, of course. Uh, but there are also people who just will tr try and fight against something that isn't there. And in Poland, since they, there's actually stuff to fight against, so no one will complain really about the uh, streetcar being late 15 minutes or something. For a Canadian, I, I'm happy that, because I, I will go back to Canada at some point, but it's nice to have that perspective because I'm guilty of it too when I'm in Canada. After a while, I'm like, ugh, like, oh, this small thing, and I'm annoyed by it because I just have it so well. Everything's just so, like, for the most part, is so peaceful in Canada. To listen to some of Ariel's music, podcasts, and learn more about him, visit our website at mypodcast.com. Also, he told us a lot of interesting and frankly surprising things about how he sees the differences between Warsaw and Toronto. We will be playing those observations in our next four episodes of podcast. <laughs> As all legends, this one is also about one brave, simple man who did what many powerful and distinguished ones could not achieve. The present city of Kraków is situated on the Vistula River and on its bank is a hill called Wawel Hill. 
Krakow was then the capital of Poland. When Poland was ruled by King Krak, the whole town and the area around it were terrorized by a frightening monster referred to as the Wawel Dragon, or the Dragon of Wawel Hill, in Polish Smog Wawelski, who lived in a cave at the foot of Wawel Hill on the bank of the Vistula River. The dragon demanded offerings of cattle, and as a dragon he could eat a lot, so the locals were often unable to satisfy his hunger. If he didn't get cattle, he would devour humans. Many brave knights came to Krakow from different countries to defeat the dragon, but all in vain. The town of Krakow was in serious crisis until one day a young shoemaker appeared, knocked on the gates and demanded to see the king, to whom he announced that he would slay the dragon. The king had no choice but to believe him, and therefore provided him with all he said he needed, which is lambskin and some sulfur. The shoemaker filled the lambskin with sulfur and skillfully sawed up the hole of the lamb's belly. He placed what looked like a lamb in front of the dragon's den and ran to the nearby bushes. The dragon woke up and feeling very hungry, he noticed what he thought was a dead lamb and swallowed it in an instant. The sulfur inside caused a terrible burning all over his body and made him terribly thirsty, so he rushed to the river and started drinking. He drank and drank and drank until he simply exploded. And that was the end of the scary, greedy and merciless dragon of Krakow. The shoemaker became a hero and the king made him a rich man. Many centuries later, the green smog Wawelski is a popular character in children's stories and books. Michael Rubenfeld is a performance maker, cultural producer, playwright and actor in Toronto. Together with Sarah Garten Stanley, he has authored a play, And We Keep Coming Back, about a trip he and his mother Mary Berchard made to Poland to search for their Jewish roots. The pre-trip research and then the trip itself revealed something they had not been aware of at all, a flourishing new Jewish life in Poland. The play, directed by Sarah Garten Stanley, in which the son-mother duo act together with a well-known Polish-Jewish writer, Katka Reszka, was staged in Poland and now will have its Canadian premiere at the Toronto Ashkenaz Festival. We reach Michael Rupenfeld in Edinburgh, where his other play, Counting Sheep, had just won the Scotsman Fringe First Award at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It's a deeply personal play, which has to do with your family relations, especially relations with your mother. How did yes. this come to be? Well, it started with uh, my mother's health, actually. Her health was quite serious, and I wasn't sure if she was going to survive. And she and I had issues in our relationship that were unresolved. We didn't get along. We, we fought. I didn't like being around her. And I was worried that those feelings wouldn't shift before, to be quite frank, before she died. That was an upsetting thought. And so I started to question you know, why there were problems. And I theorized that the disconnection that I had with my mother might be connected to our disconnection from our history, from our identities. And that identity is Poland, because our family is all originally from Poland, but we grew up with such a negative relationship to Poland because of the war. We lost most of our family 
that we were raised being told that Poland is a horrible place, you should never go. And that's essentially, you know, that can be interpreted as your homeland is a horrible place, you should never go. So the place that you're from is horrible. For me, that felt like a very difficult burden for for us to be holding and, and, and difficult for our relationship. So that's how that's how the idea came out. I asked my mom if she would go to Poland with me and see where we're from and see if we can work through some of these things together by, by going to Poland together. And you did. And we did. And yeah. what happened as a result of that visit? It ended up being postponed for a total of about nine months because of my mother's health. But in the interim, we started to do research about Poland And I started to learn more and more about, about contemporary Judaism in Poland that I didn't know was, was even existed. It was, it was news to me that there was new Jewish life and why there was new Jewish life. And I started to get very excited about that. The original idea of going to Poland had nothing to do with contemporary Judaism. And it was only about going to see where we were from, going to Auschwitz, going to Treblinka, doing this kind of like death and destruction tour that a lot of Jews do. And then they leave without spending any time in Poland. I ended up meeting a woman named Magda Koralewska, who worked, she's very involved in the Jewish community in Poland. And we started to date. And so as a result of this sort of new relationship and the things I was learning about Poland, the trip ended up including a woman named Katkareshka, who is herself a Jew from Poland, was raised Catholic and discovered that she was Jewish in her 20s. And she wrote a book about it. And she came with us. And the trip became about my mother and I going back to Poland to see where we're from, but also going back to Poland to connect to what's happening today with Polish people who are Jewish and not Jewish. We developed a very meaningful relationship with a number of people living in Poland, a lot of Polish people, Jew, Polish Jews, non-Polish Jews. People were incredibly open welcoming us. We were shocked at how incredible the country is, that today's version of Poland is, and how wonderful people were. And it's now become a country that my mother and I have gone back to three or four times. And I, uh, together, and I spend half my life there. Your, your trips there uh, and all that experience has resulted in that play. And yeah. the play itself was staged in Poland, right? Yeah, so we just staged it in, in June. We previewed it in Szczecin, and then we premiered it in Krakow at the Krakow Jewish Culture Festival. Without knowing it, we actually made a piece of theater that I think is probably most interesting presented in Poland, because it's so much more about Poland than it is about anything else. Doing it in Szczecin versus doing it in Krakow were, were, were very different and very interesting, because in Szczecin we didn't really have any Jews in the audience. It was all Poles. And I think that for Polish people and for them, I think the piece is, was, was surprising. I think people are not necessarily aware of the diasporic Jewish narrative outside of Poland about what Poland represents for them. Or they are aware and there's a kind of relief or great gratefulness in that there are people here presenting an alternative narrative of the country. Because I, I, I can see that a lot of Polish people feel a lot of pain over the kind of external narrative of the country. And then I think there were also some people who are surprised that Jews have such a hard relationship with Poland because, of course, a lot of you know, horrible things happened to Polish people during the war. When we did it in Krakow, in Krakow, we had a very Jewish audience. Lots of Poles, but very, very Jewish. And what was fascinating about that was that 
um, there were a number of people who felt like they were seeing their emotional narrative in the play. They were connecting to our emotional narrative around trauma, particularly third-generation Jews. But there were people who were, many people who were coming for the first time to Poland with their families, having a difficult time. It's hard to go back to Poland for the first time for a lot of people. And so a lot of people, you know, felt like the play helped them articulate some of the things that they were feeling. It was amazing. It was really very special. It went far beyond just being a piece of theater. It was, I would say, transformational and the conversation transported beyond the play. So obviously there were discussions after the play, after this. Yeah, after every performance we do a discussion. And, you know, there's even sometimes discussion during the play itself because uh, we create space where we ask a couple of questions to the audience. Because we're also really trying to focus on trauma. We're trying to focus on trauma in the play. And there's a section of the play where we're trying to focus on you know, we're kind of comparing my trauma and Katka's trauma. My grandmother was in Auschwitz. Katka's grandmother hid her identity to survive the war. And I think that there are a number of people who don't necessarily validate Polish trauma uh, and Polish Jewish trauma. And so, the you know, I play a, a version of myself who is trying to ascertain or to assert that my trauma is worse than her trauma. And we bring that out, that conversation out into the audience. And it's a, you know, when it's, when it's voiced out loud, it's, you know, it's an inappropriate and it's a kind of absurd statement, but it breeds a really interesting conversation where we actually have a conversation about that during the play. The play will be shown at the Ashkenaz uh, Festival on the 3rd of September. Yeah, it's the Canadian premiere. What do you expect here? It'll be different, yeah. I mean, I think it will be a very Jewish audience. I think what we're hoping is actually for some argument. Personally, I think things become more interesting when people disagree. (laughs) Because I believe that it's quite important for diasporic Jews to re-engage with Poland as a, as a place that they recognize that we're from and that has these spiritual elements that can feed the culture. And there are a lot of people who really reject that idea. The most important thing, that it can spark a kind of new conversation or a new way to, to think about Poland new possibilities in relationship to Poland, because I think that there's this insistence that we maintain this very negative relationship to Poland. Many, A lot of Jews have a very hard time letting go of that, and I think it creates more sickness, or I think it creates more problems. It makes people harder. It feels much better to open our hearts to reconnecting. Less, less hate, less fear. I know I personally have found spending time in Poland to be incredibly healing, and hopeful that you know Judaism is existing again or still in Poland but it's flourishing now in Poland in really interesting ways and that that's possible is is I think a very beautiful thing to learn more about Michael Rubenfeld and the planned show at the Toronto Ashkenaz Festival please visit our website at mypolcast.com in our next episode we will let you listen to Michael's impressions from Poland
In the last episode we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. This was a bus. A folk instrument made by attaching a horse's tail hairs, very much like in a violin bow, to the end of an empty beer keg. Usually, the wooden keg top is replaced by a leather membrane. The player makes this characteristic sound by pulling the hair with his wet hands. Buczybas originated from Kashubia, Kashuby, region in northern Poland. Kashubs have their own language and traditions, having lived in relative isolation for centuries. They were the founders of the city of Gdańsk. About 108,000 Kashubians still declare Kashubian as their mother tongue. Notable Kashubians include Günter Grass, the Nobel Prize winning German author of Kashubian descent who died in 2015, and Donald Tusk, former Prime Minister of Poland, currently serving as the President of the European Council. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? You've been listening to the 20th episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals, and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. We are always curious about your reactions, comments, and suggestions. Also ideas for the news stories. Please share them with us on our website, mypolcast.com. In our next episode, we will tell you how Polish patriotic songs can be made interesting to the 21st century audiences. Are young Poles any different from their Canadian peers? And how Poland features in the largest North American festival of Jewish culture, Toronto's Ashkenaz Festival.
And we'll leave you today with Rooftops, composition by our today's guest, Ariel. Thank you for listening. Oh, 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 oh,